Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. This is the Build Your Network Podcast, episode 395. Hi, this is Eric Kapitulik, founder of The Program Leadership. And if you want to learn how to successfully build professional relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network Podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm speaking with Eric Kapitulik. Um, I can't wait to get into this conversation with, with, uh, with this guy, everybody, because he has been all over the place in his career and done so many things that um, every single one of us can come to respect. And I can't wait to get into some of these conversations. Eric is an ex-Special Forces commander, and now he's the founder and president of the Program Leadership LLC. It's a team-building and leadership development company for collegiate and professional athletic teams and corporations all throughout North America. And he's also an avid high altitude mountaineer. He's summited five of the seven summits, um, the highest peaks on the seven continents, Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount McKinley, Mount Aconcagua, Mount Elbrus, and most recently, Mount Everest. So it's going to be an amazing conversation. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. But first, really quickly, if you are a six or seven figure business owner, and you know how important it is and how crucial it would be for your business to have a podcast to help with business development and relationship building in your industry, but you just don't have the time or resources or team or whatever to figure it out, then let me and my team take it for you. We built a company recently called World Class Media. At World Class Media, we specialize in helping uh, seven-figure and six-figure entrepreneurs grow their business through podcasting. So we'll actually come out and build the show for you. So all you have to do is worry about showing up and turning on a microphone. Makes it really, really easy. Head over to travischapel.com, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L, travischapel.com slash make my podcast to learn more about that. Eric, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Travis, thanks so much for having me. Fired up to be here today. Yes, sir. Let's let's go ahead and dive right in here, man, because there's so many things that we need to cover here in our in our short time together. So you were born and raised out in Connecticut and then attended the US Naval Academy from there. Let's talk about that decision. Why did you go to the Naval Academy? Was that something you always wanted to do? Was it a family thing? Talk to me through that. Talk me through that decision. No, I it was not something I always wanted to do. It wasn't uh, it certainly wasn't a family decision. I, I, I really, 
now having kids of my own, Travis, you look back on your own parents, or at least I do, and you think about, well, hey, what are some of the things I'm going to do? What are some of the things I won't do as a parent that my own parents did? One of the things that I'm really grateful for my parents of is uh, they always gave me direction and advice, most definitely let me make my own decisions. And so the Naval Academy was definitely not a family decision. And I think a lot of people, a lot of uh, students can, can get into trouble by, by, or parents can get their kids into trouble by making, oh, well, you got into the Naval Academy, you have to go there. Hmm. And they go there and it's just not for them. They're the ones going through it, not the family. In any event, uh, why did I go to school there? I think a constant in my life, Travis, or at least for as long as I can remember, is I love to be challenged. It's something that I seek out in my, in my life. And, and, and at least, again, for as long as I can remember, I always have. I was coming out of high school. I had a, the opportunity, thankfully, to attend a number of different schools, play sports in college at a number of different schools, hmm. and really good ones as well. I was very fortunate. But the Naval Academy was unique in that I didn't know I could do it. I didn't hmm. know if I was up to the standard. And that ultimately is what made me choose going to school there. Very interesting. So you were playing a lot of collegiate sports, obviously really competitive, and basically got to the end of all of that and realized, like, I, I, I don't know if I'm capable of this next level. Let's find out. That's right. Got it. So talk to me about your initial arrival at the Naval Academy. What was it that you were planning on doing? Did that end up working out or did you go a different direction? Well, you know, I was very, I, I was very fortunate in that, uh, well, <laughs> you know, trans, trust is the foundation of every relationship, right, Travis? And the, one of the ways you develop trust is complete transparency. So let me be completely transparent with you and your listeners. The Naval Academy, after high school, I did so well in my four years in high school academically that the Naval Academy, before they allowed me to come to school there, they wanted to give me a fifth try at, at high school and send me to a PG year so I could get my grades up academically <laughs> so, I could be, so I could be competitive academically by the time I arrived on campus. And th that's not that different really than a lot of the athletes that go to school at mm. not just the Naval Academy, but West Point or Air Force as well, okay. um, where you, you can't, for the athletic fan listeners, there is no red shirting at the service academies. You can't sit a year and still keep your four years of eligibility. Once you start, you have four years and you're going to graduate or you're going to get kicked out. Wow. So what many the service academies do with many of their athletes who might need help academically is they send them to their respective prep schools. So I went to a year after high school of the Naval Academy prep school. It was hugely important for me. And I was just talking about this yesterday on a family hike with uh, our family friends about the importance. Every child is different, certainly. But for me and for my own son, who's only eight right now, by the way, is I would recommend a PG year. Again, if you can financially afford it and or uh, the, one of the service academies affords you the opportunity to go and do it. It was such a huge maturation process for me. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's my freshman year of college, but I'm not in college yet. So uh, it's a year of living away from home, maturing, doing my own laundry, taking care of myself, having to figure out problems for myself. So many different things that really set me up for success when I arrived at the Naval Academy. The second piece of that is, which was hugely helpful, when I showed up on day one at the Naval Academy, I had a bunch of friends there with me, men and women that I had attended the Naval Academy prep school with, which definitely made the whole experience of showing up there much easier. Yeah. Now, with that said, Travis, I don't care who you are, on day one, you will be scared. Why, why is that? A... I don't know if I can do this. I just don't know if I can do it. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not college. You, you, know, you don't have 12 credit hours per semester. You have 20. Yeah. You, don't, you, you have military obligations. You have athletic obligations. It's so much more 
than what a typical college student has to do. On top of all that, there is the military boot camp-esque aspect of it of, hey, are you tough enough to do this? And uh, until you do it, you don't know. You may think you do or can one way or the other, but you don't know it. And that's scary. Sure, sure. Uh, is there a, a really high attrition rate from, you know, from the people that you went to, let's say, freshman year or maybe even to the prep academy with? How many of them ended up graduating the same year that you did? Well, again, either you graduate this, the people that I went to prep school with or the people that I started my freshman year with, either you graduate the year that I graduated or you don't, that means you didn't graduate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's no other option. There's incredibly high attrition at the Naval Academy prep school. Uh, the 400 approximately student and student athletes start the Naval Academy prep school, I think we graduated, you know, just under 300. So it's, you know, almost 30, you know, 25 to 30% of the class washed out there. And is that, is that usually in between like the first and second year, second and third year? Well, prep school is just one year. So that's what I'm saying. At prep school, it's just one year right after high school, you go to your fifth year of high school. And then if you successfully complete it in successful completion means a 2.0 GPA or more or higher, then you start freshman year at the Naval Academy the following year. We had, we started prep school with, with approximately 400. We graduated just under 300. Now of those 300, those 300 started with 700 or so 800 or so freshmen at the Naval Academy were all part of that plebe or freshman class. Okay. Mm -hmm. And of those thousand to 1100 that start, you have about 10% attrition at that point. And the, the, the reason why the attrition is low really, I mean, is because it's so challenging to get into in the first place. Yeah, right. There's, right. You know, there every twenty selective in the process. Every twenty applicants, they select one. Yeah. So, yeah. if you get there, there's a fair chance, at least academically, that the Naval Academy believes that you can complete their course of instruction. Got it. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like, like, like hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Got it. Okay. So now talk to me through like at the end of Naval Academy. So um, mm-hmm. you, you play division one lacrosse and yeah. uh, you're doing athletics and you got to keep your grades up and then you're doing uh, the military things. Uh, but you obviously did pretty well to uh, get the most outstanding defensemen, receive North South all-star honors um, in your senior year. Um, and then you graduate and then what happens after you graduate? Throughout the, your time at the Naval Academy, the, the Navy has you and gives you the experience of all the different parts of the Navy, being a pilot, being on a ship, being uh, a communications officer, being a supply officer, being, being a submarine officer. Uh, and also a department of the Navy is the Marine Corps. So they send you to Quantico, Virginia, Virginia and have you experience Marine Corps life or at least as close as they're going to you're going to be able to experience without being a Marine sure and through all of those experiences and interacting with Naval officers and Marine Corps officers at the Naval Academy and again the challenge of being a Marine you know you see Air Force ads, Navy ads, Army ads on TV. It's all about, hey, join us, and this is what you get for doing so. Mm-hmm. College and this and that. And the Marines are, you know, I don't know, you, if you want to be a Marine, then join the Marines. See if, see, if you're, <laughs> see if you're good enough to be called a Marine. Right. That, that challenge, again, it, it, along with the the experiences that I had in the in the naval and marine corps officers I, I interacted with at the naval academy all of those things drove me toward wanting to be a marine corps officer mm-hmm. so you apply you interview based on a number of different factors when you're at the naval academy you either get selected or not uh, I was fortunate I got selected I was commissioned a, a second lieutenant in the United States Marine Corps upon graduating as I say Travis outside of husband and daddy is the title that I'm most proud of Mm. and had the opportunity to serve eight years in the United States Marine Corps as both an infantry officer and in Marine Corps special operations. Why do you think that those challenges that were in front of you motivated you comparatively to a lot of other people that it just scares them out of trying to take advantage of the opportunity. Do you find that that's more hardwired in you or now being like a leader to try to lead other people through those challenges on the other side of it? Do you see that it's something that can really be cultivated within somebody? So it's, that's a great question. And having reflected on that exact question, I mean, any number of times in my life, whether it's at mile 100 of the 112 mile bike ride of the marathon or 18 mile 18 of the run of the marathon, uh, when you've been out there already for nine hours, 10 hours, right? Or I'm in a tent on the side of a mountain with it getting blo- the top of it getting blown in with 80 mile per hour winds. And I'm there and I'm thinking to myself, what in God's name are you here doing this for? Like, why are you doing this? Right. So it's something I, I like, why do you have to do this? Right. So I think that, it, that I've spent some time upon, you know, thinking about it. it in any event, I think really it started, this is the nature versus nurture question. And I think, and from what I've seen uh, with my own parents now as a parent, as a coach of youth sports, working at the Naval Academy. The last thing I did in the Marine Corps after special operations, for a brief time, I worked in the Naval Academy admissions office as a director of admissions. I, I really think that that idea of, hey, go try the tough thing. Go, go, go try the thing that challenges you. It's gonna be okay. I think so much of that attitude can be uh, instilled as a young person if your parents instill it. Many don't. Many don't. Many parents, their, their, their child says, oh, that, that scares me. I don't want I don't, I don't to do that. And the parent goes, oh, it's okay. You don't yeah. have to then. Yeah, you don't so, have to. They're so worried about seeing their child suffer or 
um, or be challenged or be embarrassed or fail that they keep them from trying anything, right? That's, that's right. And, 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 and this gets back to, and I'm glad you used the term, this gets back to how do you define failure? failure failure is not finishing second or third failure is not finishing last failure failure is not getting in the arena failure is not getting in the race failure is not if if failure is hey i'm going to take this easy course and get an a yeah vice i'm going to challenge myself and you know what i might fail it Hmm. but i'm going to give my hundred percent yep so so much of that i mean how many parents how, how many parents have, when I was at the Naval Academy said, oh man, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to have John apply. I mean, it's you, only one out of 20 get selected and his grades, are, he's not a 4.0 student. So I don't think I'm going to have him apply. Wow. I mean, that's a loser's attitude. And yeah, well, that parent is, I mean, you're, get, you're doing your child such a disservice. Sure. And it also, it also guarantees the result, right? Like one way, what like one way you have a one in twenty chance. The other way you have a zero chance. So why not take the one in twenty chance? That seems like way that's, better odds to me. That, that's right, Travis. I mean, look, you you know the great thing about a bio is you. I, I get to first of all, I get to craft it, and then you read it, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody on their bio ever says. And now as I'm talking about it, I think I'm going to, as, as I speak all around, you know, North America. Yeah. It, it, instead, everybody puts all their accomplishments. Do you know how many mountains I haven't summited? Yeah. I've had to turn around on. Mm. Do, do you know, do you know uh, how many races I've finished last in? I mean, I got, okay, yeah, I, got, I was North-South, you know, all-star and defenseman of the year, my, my senior year. I got benched when I was at the Naval Academy. <laughs> Right. Like, so it, it, again, it's, it's, it's how we frame failure. Yeah, right. And at a very young age, parents frame it, what I consider to be wrong. Sure. Number one, number two, they allow at a very young age, the, this idea of, well, this makes me nervous. And if it makes me nervous, then I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And that's when as parents, we need to provide guidance. We have to understand that as parents, we do know better than our children that they don't make decisions. We make that decision for them that great. I know you're, you're, you're nervous and, and, and that's challenging, Yeah. but you're going to go and do it. Yeah. And that, so that thing of it, it was, it always in me. I, I don't know if it's in anybody. I, 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 I thankfully had parents who instilled it very early that, okay, you lost. Okay, but did you give your hundred percent? Yeah, and not giving your hundred percent. Now that's failure. Sure. So let's frame failure differently. Uh, I had parents who did that, and then at a young age, I did little challenges, and we have to basically stress inoculate ourselves. You know, failure. You know, losing inoculate yourself. You have you have those little little losses along the way. Well, you get knocked, you get the little knockdowns along the yeah. way and you get up and you keep trying. And then, and then that grows and manifests itself, at least in my life to the Naval Academy and special operations and climbing Mount Everest, right? right. Well, For other people, it might, might manifest itself other ways. Yeah. It's, it sounds like really, it's all about building that habit, right? The building the habit of when you when you feel that nervousness, when you feel that anxiousness, when you feel that fear, building the habit of saying, I'm going to do it anyway, instead of building the habit of saying, oh, I'm going to just go lay on the couch and watch TV instead. Um, I think that's, that's, the, that's the thing that parents are either doing or not doing. Is there, is there, they're building the habit that says that when I feel this way, it's okay to run and hide versus when I feel this way, this is when I need to take responsibility the most and go out there and, and face this head on. Because if you can build that habit, then every time something like that happens in life, regardless of if it's a fitness goal or if you're an entrepreneur or if you're in the military, whatever that thing is, you're going to have that habit of like, well, like you said, it's, it's a next challenge. Let's see if I'm up to, let's see if I'm up to it. Let's That's see if it, I can do Travis. this one. A hundred percent. 
Okay, so this one has been a long time coming, and I'm excited to announce the launch of my new company, World Class Media. I've been doing podcast coaching and consulting for individuals and businesses for the last couple of years, and over the last few months, I just haven't been able to keep up with the requests. So in order to serve more people, I've decided to stop taking on coaching clients and start an agency that creates a done-for-you podcasting solution, as well as monthly production and repurposing services. So if you are a business owner, coach, consultant, entrepreneur, real estate investor, whatever it may be, then a podcast should be the most powerful business development tool in your arsenal. Imagine having something that is constantly engaging your ideal client, even when you're sleeping, or that allows you to connect with the top people in your industry to build your network and establish credibility, or that allows you to help listeners that are currently outside of your sphere of influence, or that helps you get book deals or speak on more stages or create content once that we can repurpose and distribute across all the platforms for you. That is the power of a world-class podcast that's done the right way. So if you're interested in starting a show, but you just don't have the time, the resources, or desire to figure out all the tech stuff, the hosting, the equipment, the platforms, the production, then you just focus on what you do best, which is serving your clients and running your business. And then let my team focus on what we do best, which is creating world-class chart-topping podcasts. Let's at least hop on a call and chat about it because I'm fairly picky with the people that I work with. And I only work with people who I genuinely think are going to be able to absolutely crush it with a new show. So head over to travischapel.com slash make my podcast. That's travischapel.com slash make my podcast. And we'll chat real soon. Okay. So talk to me now. You do eight, you said eight years of service, right? Eight years of active mm-hmm. duty. And then you decide to go back to school afterwards. How come? When I, first of all, leaving active duty was, was one of the toughest decisions of my life. Hmm. I, I loved the Marine Corps. And even on the days that I, maybe I didn't love the Marine Corps, there wasn't <laughs> a, there wasn't a day that I didn't love the Marines. And I knew that if I spent 30, you know, I spent eight years on active duty. I knew that if I spent 38 years on active duty, I was going to, I was going to love it on the final day. I, I, I would have said, oh, I'm going to miss it. Hmm. Uh, so I knew that it was really such a challenge for me. Ultimately, I decided that there were other challenges outside the Marine Corps that I wanted to explore. Hmm. And those other challenges drove me to uh, leave active duty. I left active duty one of those challenges was starting my own company and to do so after four very questionable years academically at the Naval Academy and then eight years in special operations, jumping out of airplanes and diving in the ocean. I thought that a little bit of business knowledge would be helpful in becoming uh, or at least giving me the greatest chance for success. So, I applied, I came out of the Naval Academy, I applied to a number of different business schools. I was very fortunate uh, to attend the University of Chicago. I, I loved business school. I actually applied myself in business school. And it's unbelievable the amount that you can learn uh, when you actually try yeah. and apply yourself, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But but really a wonderful experience, not just because of the school, but also because of the my classmates that I had while there. So attended business school for, for that reason, knowing that I'm going to go into business and I feel like I need some schooling to, to help me to at least give me an opportunity for success. Okay. So you graduate from there. This is like 2005-ish, right? Yeah. Uh, You graduate from there. So did you start the business during school or did you start the business after school? And what were your first few steps? I went to school and then was hired at Goldman Sachs to work in private banking. Okay. And that's what I did for about 18 months. Oh, really? Okay. And during that time, my, my thought process behind it was, hey, go into banking. Uh, you know, it's Goldman Sachs. Probably can be, you know, if you, with enough elbow grease and hard work, you'll get this thing figured out. So ultimately, you'll make enough money that you'll be able to do those things in your life that you're passionate about doing. Hmm. So that's what I did. And I went to go work at Goldman Sachs. And every single morning, it was like getting hot coals stuck in my eyes. <laughs> And that is not a reflection on Goldman Sachs. It's, it's definitely not a reflection on the people with whom I had the privilege of working with there. Mm-hmm. They were great people. It's a great institution. 
it's great, high quality class, smart, intelligent, athletic, funny, uh, good people that that work there. So it's it's the hot coals in my eyes is a reflection on me, not it or or anything else and the industry. And ultimately, what I realized was up to that point in my life, I had had the great privilege of doing things that I was passionate about every single day of my life. Hmm. And because I had, I knew what my 100% was. And I also knew, therefore, what less than my 100% is, was. And I don't want to give less than my 100%. Hmm. I, I, I like work. I work. Yeah. And that's a big part of my life. And I don't want to do a big part of my life at 80%. Yeah. And because of that, that is what made me um, decide to start my own business at that point. I absolutely love that, man. I want to hammer that point home because there's so many people, so many people probably listening to this right now, even that do something on a daily basis for, and they have done it for an extended period of time and are continuing to do it with no end in mind that does not fire them up. That like you said, is like putting hot coals in their eyes um, that they can't give their hundred percent to, they can't give their full effort to because they don't like it at all. And they don't have any desire or they don't have any um, plan to get out of it. Why, why do you think that is? And what should they do? Right. Well, I think probably for a very large percent of those people, you, you start doing something and you said earlier, you know, and it was really an astute observation, Travis, for what it's worth, that, you know, you have those little challenges and then it becomes a habit, right? Well, the, the challenge is, is that when people are 20, it's, they come out of college, you, let's take the military aspect out of it, right? As, as mo- very few people in, in the U.S. have served in the military. So the average probably person is coming out of college and then starting a job and it's a job they don't like, but they start doing it and then they keep doing it. And there's a little bit of apathy there and eh, it's good enough basically. And then they get married and then they start having children. And as soon as that occurs, your risk profile and your financial risk profile changes considerably where now you're, if I stop doing what I'm doing that I don't like doing and I start something else, boy, am I going to make enough money? Is it, will I make any money to do this? Well, when you're single and or married without children, your risk profile, at least mine was much greater. I, <laughs> I try to be very frank, getting back to complete transparency, developing trust. I have to be honest. If, if I'm at this point in my life now, married with two kids and just having built our dream home and the price tag that comes with it, and somebody says, here, start your own business right now, I don't know if I would. Now, with that said, I made decisions. I didn't build the home. I didn't buy a home. That dream home I talked about is the first home I've ever owned. Yes. Yep. I didn't buy a house. That, so that, before... that, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, no, that, no, no, go ahead. That, that's kind of what I feel is like the real issue, right? Is that, is that as soon as people go out and get a job that pays decent, and this is when they're single, right? This isn't even married with a kid. The, the thing that traps them is that they have to, they feel like they have to go keep up with the Joneses immediately and they leverage every <laughs> dollar that they make to have payments for this nice condo in the city. And you got to go get a nice car and then you go get a nice watch and then you wear nice shoes and then you buy nice clothes and you eat out of nice dinners. And then all of a sudden you're living a lifestyle that uses every dollar that you have coming in. Um, instead of living super, super lean, which allows you the freedom and flexibility. So like, and then you get married and then you have a kid and then it's the man, there's too much month at the, at the end of your money now. And now you got to like, you, you're, you're on this hamster wheel of life, just like spinning in circles for doing a bunch of stuff that you're getting, like accumulating a bunch of things that you're getting, not even for you to just impress other people and feel like you are quote unquote successful. When instead all you really have to do is 
in, when you get that job is still live like you didn't have the job. Like drive the drive the, right. the used car and wear the clothes from Kohl's or Target. Like stop stop feeling like you got to keep up with the Joneses all the time. Because then like even like now, uh, this is just my personal situation, Eric. Like I, I have a wife. We got married really young. I was 20, uh, uh, 21 actually when we got married. And uh, uh, we just had a kid about... Uh, nine months ago he's he's well he's almost 10 months now um but for me personally Congrats. yeah thank you awesome. I appreciate that. um for, yeah. for me personally like we just keep everything so low that it allows me to take huge risks in my business still and not have to worry about the fact that like our bills are going to be paid next month because we just don't go out there and live like live like we earn the money that we do earn you know, like we just take the money that we That's do right. earn and, and right. use it to invest and to risk more money. And then we live off of a very small amount of that kind of stuff because we know what fulfills us and makes That's us right. happy is just each other. And like the, the one thing that we don't compromise in is, is experiences. We like to go out and experience life. And so we try to travel out of the country once a year. We try to go places together and things like that. But in terms of things and leveraging every single dollar that we make into higher payments to afford to keep up with the Joneses, like that is not something that I want anything to do with. And I think that that's, a, I, I do think that's a great preponderance of, of people who are miserable in their jobs. The truth is they, they're at a certain point in their lives with certain expenses. They can't change. Right. Right now, without filing bankruptcy and moving in with their parents. That, that's right. That's right. So let's take that part out. Let me talk to everybody else, right? Who yeah, might be yeah, in yeah. a job that 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 they may not like, and they and the reason why they're not changing is because they don't know. Okay, well, I know I don't like this, but I don't know what I am passionate about. Hmm. Okay, for you, let me talk to you directly. Yeah. Quit and go try something. Just go do something. By, say, say you quit, you go to do something else and you hate it. Great. You did not just waste six months of your life doing something that now you don't like doing and now you're going to have to try something else. No, you just spent, you just invested six months of your life figuring out that. By eliminating that, that, a direction. That, that's right. Yeah. That's right. right. So you just narrowed your bandwidth. I mean, right. how awesome is that? Right. And, and again, don't, if you're waiting until it's, I guess it's like kids, right? Travis, if, if you wait till you, till you're ready to have kids, you may never have kids. <laughs> that's no, true. Just, go, go, go do it. And then you'll figure it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You'll figure it out. I love, I love this analogy and I, now we got to, I know we got to get wrapped up here pretty soon, but um, there, there was a, a, I was having this conversation on this show probably, I don't know, probably like a year ago um, with a guy named Jay Papazan. He's a, a author, wrote a few books with Gary Keller um, from Keller Williams. And he used this analogy that I, I love using now. So imagine there's a guy in the middle of the ocean and he knows there's an island within, uh, within swimming distance, but he can't see which direction the island is in. He has two choices at that point. Like one, keep waiting in the middle of the water and try to think and weigh out the decisions of where you think the island is most likely, um, uh, you know, in the direction around you, at which point you'll probably just end up drowning. Um, or you can take action immediately and start swimming toward a certain direction. And then once you figure out that the, the island isn't there, then you swim back to where you started and then you move a different direction. That that is all I feel like the decision making process is, is, is taking action in a direction. And then if it's not the direction you wanted to go, at least you figured out that that's not the direction I want to go. So now you go back to where you started and, and, and then you, and then you try a different direction. And the only difference I think between people who are, are, you know, see a certain amount of success when they're young is they just kind of got lucky, you know, that they, that they took off in the right direction the first time and uh, didn't have to come back to come back to where they are. But ultimately I think that people just, they, they're, they're not willing to just swim back and get started over and start and try something new because they feel like it's, it, there's a sunk cost fallacy that tells them that they have to keep going since they've already put six months into something. That's right. And, and I, I will, and this gets back to, you know, learning these, learning these lessons, the, the earlier you can instill them in your own children, the better chance they have throughout their entire lives, because that's a, that's a tough lesson to learn in your forties. 
right? Your thirties, your forties, the younger you can instill that type of lesson. I I had a, I had a a Marine in, in my special operations unit who once told me, sir, man, I'll tell you what, you make a decision. It may not always be the right decision, but I know you're going to make a decision. And I was like, uh, thank you. Like, I'm not sure he's <laughs> meaning that as, as, a, as a thing or not, but, but, the, but that, but he's right. And it's people, Hey, I'm not going to make a decision until I have a hundred percent of the information. Here's, yeah. here's a newsflash. You will never have a hundred percent of the information. Yeah. You have a certain amount of information and then you have to make an educated guess. That's what you have to do. And then once you make that decision, work your backside off to make it the right decision. That's it. Love it, man. Well, look, we ended up taking this conversation in a bunch of different directions that I didn't intend for, but I think it turned out really, really good. I, I want to ask you just about a couple of things. I want to talk about Mount, Mount Everest and yeah. uh, a couple of the lessons that you, that you learned from summiting Everest and, and talk to me about that, that experience mm. really quickly. Yeah, sure. First, as I write about it, last September, I, this is a shameless plug for our book. Last September, my, uh, a person that, uh, one of my teammates at the program, my, my company, Jake McDonald, he and I published a book called The Program. Uh, you can find it on our website at theprogram.org. You can go to Barnes and Noble. You can go to uh, Amazon. It, it, it's, it's all there. And I, I write about this in the book that I, a good friend of mine in the Marines had a battalion commander and that battalion commander once told my buddy and my buddy shared it with me. His battalion commander always used to say a man. And in this case, let's, it was an infantry unit. So it was hundred percent men, but it, 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 he means a person. Uh, but, but in his words, a man is the sum of his experiences. That's true for all of us, men, women, everybody. We are a sum of our experiences. I, I think that, um, Climbing Mount Everest was a huge experience in my life. Definitely experiences, an experience that uh, has helped shape who I am. Hmm. As far as, you know, what did I learn doing it? When you're doing things in your 30s, I think that, boy, consider yourself lucky if if you're doing something that teaches you a lesson. For the most part, at that point, it's reinforcing a lot of lessons. Mm. And Mount Everest, I said, I would think in, in the Marine Corps, you know, they, they certainly there were, some, there were some things I learned about myself and about others while there, but it, it's really helping to reinforce certain things. First and foremost, we only grow as individuals and as a team when we're outside of our comfort zone. We only grow as individuals and as a team when we're outside of our comfort zone. Doing things that scare you, help you grow, make you a better, not just leader. Yeah. Doing things that scare you, make you a better human being. Though those things, um, you know, manifested themselves on Mount Everest. Further, the importance of physical mental and emotional resiliency or toughness Hmm. manifested itself on Mount Everest and also highlighted to me the importance of physical, mental, and emotional resiliency or toughness in our day-to-day lives. That it always, Travis, people, you know, as I said earlier, I speak at maybe 30, 40, you know, major organizations a year throughout North America and invariably somebody on their executive team, it's usually a guy, uh, legitimately a man, who on their executive team, who when they find out that I climb Mount Everest wants to tell me, oh man, climbing Mount Everest, poof, it's all mental. And the, the first thing I think to myself is, you have obviously never climbed Mount Everest because <laughs> climbing Mount Everest is not all mental. It is in fact 98% physical. Now with that said, the 2% mental is what can kill you. Yeah. For all of us in our lives, for all your listeners, if I were to give them any advice, it would be this exercise. It's the, it's the number one thing you can do 
for yourself and for every team of which you are a part is for you, your listener. Go and exercise. Exercise doesn't mean doing the Ironman. It doesn't mean running marathons. It doesn't mean climbing Mount Everest. It means if you haven't, if you do nothing, do no exercise, then today go walk for five minutes. That's exercise. Mm. Do something. Get moving. That's not a secret. That's not Eric Kapitulik that, that teaches us the importance of exercise. It's science. What science tells us is the more we exercise, the more energy we have. We are all in, in, and I'm sure all of your listeners, all of us are on lots of teams. I run my own business. I've got my, I've got my, my job. I'm, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I, I coach my kids' teams. The, all of those teams of which I am a member require a great amount of energy. The more energy I have, the more energy I can give to all of my teammates. The better father I can be, the better husband I can be, the better leader I can be, because I have more energy. Exercise provides it. On Mount Everest, yes, 98% of it is physical toughness. 2% is what's gonna kill you mentally. I appreciate that in our day-to-day -day jobs, it, we're, it, it's not 98% physical, 2% mental, except maybe if you, not even in the military is it that, right? Let alone in corporate America where you're sitting behind your desk. However, if you are in a job that you're sitting behind a desk 10 hours a day, you're still probably a husband or a wife, a father or a mother, or at the very least, you're friends with people. Mm. You're, you're friends with, with the person sitting next to you at that desk. Yeah. The more the more energy you have, the better friend you're going to be to that person. Therefore, if you ask for lessons that I learned, I may not have learned it on Mount Everest, but man, it was reinforced to me of yeah. the importance of that physical, mental, and emotional resiliency. Again, man, I took this conversation a lot of different ways, but um, we got to wrap up here. And uh, I would be remiss if I did not ask this question because it is the staple question of the show. It's a question I ask everybody that comes on. Um, Eric, I would love to know, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important? My only hesitation, of course, my, my absolute knee-jerk reaction, because you're talking about my life. I mean, during this conversation, Travis, I have highlighted in, in, an, in an act of transparency the complete lack of application I did to myself throughout my academic through most of my academic career. I mean, Travis, on Mother's Day, when I was in business school at 30 plus years old, I gave my mom for Mother's Day a letter from the dean saying that I was on the dean's list. And the woman had to steady herself on our kitchen table because she started to cry so hard. And uh -huh. yes, as quickly as I wanted to slap myself on the back telling myself what a great guy I am, just as quickly I thought to myself, Man, how bad have you been screwing things up academically? That one good credit, one good report card has your mother crying uncontrollably, right? Mm -hmm. So it, your, my entire life and the success in my life is based on who I know. I got into the University of Chicago. Yes, I was able to get the ball in the fairway with my GMAT score. No, I got into the University of Chicago because I knew a Marine who donated a whole bunch of money there. That's the truth. Mm -hmm. Now, so who you know being much more important than what you know. With that said, I hesitate to answer that because I, what I want to answer is, yeah, we all have a chance to do both. If possible, do both. Great way to wrap this conversation up, man. Uh, and uh, I really, really appreciate you for coming on. Before we take off here, what's the number one way that our listeners can get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks for asking that. Uh, the program, the company that I run is a team building and leadership development company. We have one mission. We develop better leaders and create more cohesive teams. That's what we do. And we do so with more than 160 uh, collegiate and professional athletic teams and corporations throughout North America. We're world, our experiential training services are world-class. There's nobody in the business who does experiential learning better than the program. That's what we do. Yes, I personally give keynote speeches throughout North America. We also do classroom-based training. But our experiential training services are world-class. You can learn about having me come in to speak and or some of my teammates at the program come in to speak and give keynote addresses. 
and or learning about more about our services, our experiential training services, by going to theprogram.org. At that same website, theprogram.org, you can also learn more about our book and how to purchase it. I appreciate you asking the question. Perfect. So theprogram.org, head on over there and uh, to find out all things about Eric and his amazing team over at the program. I uh, highly recommend checking out some of the stuff that he has. Uh, there's so just there's so many parts of his life that we weren't even able to touch on in this short conversation. So please head on over there, uh, read what you can and get in touch with Eric. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, man. Seriously, had a fantastic time chatting with you. Travis, thanks. You're very good at what you do. You made this not an interview. You just made it a conversation. And that's a mark of a professional. So I uh, appreciate you uh, and appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. And I hope your listeners got something, uh, maybe one thing out of it that they can apply to their their own life yes sir of course happy to have you well that's it for today's show if you want more advanced networking strategies as well as an instant network upgrade then consider partnering with my byn inner circle mastermind there are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group there's dozens of video lessons on networking there's monthly calls there's accountability crews and more all for the low investment of just 99 bucks month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's byninnercircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We'll see you next time. Remember to leave every relationship better than you found. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.